Well, Charleston fans, they say all good things must come to an end. The Cougars' win streak ends at 20 games as they lose on Saturday to the Hofstra Pride. It's been a while since we've had to recap a loss on this show. We've been very fortunate in that regard. I know a bunch of people are bummed out. It stinks, but guess what? The sun still came out today, and the Cougars are 21-2. and They have won 91% of their games. We are still in the midst of a very special season, so don't get too down on yourselves. Here to talk about the game is a man who was there on the sidelines calling it, and a former Charleston basketball player in his own right who is part of a historic win streak as well, Mr. Danny Johnson. Always great to have Danny here, particularly after this game. I think we'll all appreciate Danny's level-headedness today. Uh, He shares some really great perspective on things. We also did something new. I asked the CFC fans Discord channel to send me any questions they had for Danny, and we got about a dozen submissions, so stay tuned through the end of the episode and we'll knock those out. And if it's something that y'all are into, we'll start doing more of these. We'll do some mailbags in the future and open it up to everyone who follows Holy City Hoops. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already. Follow us on both Twitter and Instagram as the content is a little bit different on both platforms. Let's bring in Danny Johnson. All right, Charleston basketball fans, one half of the CFC men's basketball broadcast crew is here. Danny Johnson. Danny, somebody had to be the one to come on this podcast after the Cougars uh, win streak broke, and you happened to draw the short straw, but how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, and I wouldn't consider myself drawing the short straw. As a matter of fact, I consider myself the most qualified to be talking <laughs> about it after this game. So uh, maybe it was only meant for me to be here today. Yeah, well, I mean, you have a history. When you were on the team, I believe you went undefeated in conference play, which was the uh, the mile marker we had on this season. But we know how difficult that is. I was not expecting an undefeated CAA run, just the way the target is on the Cougars' back. But yes, you are more than qualified to, to be here today. So one game this week, Hofstra 85, Charleston 81 is the final. Sure felt like a gut punch at the time. You and I were chatting before this podcast. The sky is not falling on this team. This team is still in a very good spot. What were your takeaways overall before we dive into this game? Um, Sort of the same sentiment you had. Um, I didn't believe they were going to just walk through the CAA undefeated. Um, in fairness to them, you know, the benchmark of winning every game in the Southern Conference as compared to the CAA, much more difficult. There's different parameters about those two things. Number one, travel uh, not being as intense in the Southern Conference. Everything's pretty close to you where the CAA, you have a ton of, of travel and, you know, strength of schedule. I, mean, I think the CAA overall is a much tougher conference. Um, not to say there's days off because there's no such thing, but in the Southern Conference, there's probably easier opponents to get over than it is the CAA. Really, every night you have to play in every game. Uh, Anybody can beat anybody. We've seen that over the years. So I didn't expect uh, a full run through it like that. And and actually, it's not good to do that uh, because sometimes you need to do some level setting. And so, like, I don't think the sky's falling as well. I just think it was just a good game and Hofstra had a good game plan and executed. I think both you, Everett, and Coach Kelsey in the postgame all gave credit to Hofstra. I mean, the way Hofstra shot the ball in this game, 50-50-75 split as a team, 50% from the field, 50% from deep, 75% from the line, 11 three-pointers out of 22 attempts, like, leaves very little margin for error for Charleston. And I thought Charleston did not have the 
typical advantage they have had so far in their own shot making, in their own offensive rebounding, their own free throw shooting, 50-50 balls. Like, you got to win one of those areas, you know, if, if Hofstra's going to shoot as lights out as they did. And it seemed like Charleston just couldn't get couldn't get the stops when they needed to, couldn't get the three to fall when they needed to. They only shot 16% from three, where if you take as many threes as Charleston does, that's that's pretty hard to get over. And Charleston survived some cold spells from the field. We've seen that against Towson and UNCW. Uh, we've seen them kind of get lucky late. You know, someone on the other team misses a free throw, misses a big potential back-breaking three. But I also thought there was some uncharacteristic stuff from Charleston, you know, fumbling defensive rebounds, uh, some uncharacteristic turnovers. But I thought at the end of the day, it was just like when they needed the stop, when they needed one of those shots to fall, it just didn't happen. And, you know, that's that's kind of the nature of college basketball sometimes. Yeah, I think you worded it correctly. They've been living off the fat of the hog the same way they've won some games is the way they lost yesterday. And you just have to look at it as an overall thing, right? So. You're right. Uh, Hoster matched them on offensive rebounds. Something normally doesn't happen. Charleston's bench dominated that, in that area. But five for 31 from threes. I mean, Charleston lives at the three-point line. Really good shooters this year established themselves. But I was happy that they got 40 points in the paint. That lets me know that this Charleston team can adjust to whatever the situation is. The same way they adjust to Aaron Estrada, who had a great first half. They forced others to make plays. They just happened to have people who were able to step up and do so. So when you look from a strategy standpoint, there's not a whole lot you can say that Charleston did uh, negatively, but, you know, a couple 50-50 balls in opportune situations, which is what I think you're referencing, and just giving up another possession, uh, something they haven't really done this year. They've always won that, and they just lost a few this time and I really that that's the only difference in the game you know outside of poor shooting which is going to happen uh there's not much to really nitpick at this Charleston team about I mean it's just sometimes the man gets the ball to bounce their way the team gets a little lucky uh it's part of sports so we'll see it every year and I just think that's what happened yesterday yeah I'm glad you brought up the paint points because it was one of Charleston's better performances in terms of points in the paint uh since CAA play started and I saw a lot of people online upset with the shot selection late, uh, even bemoaning like the coaching staff for letting guys take three-point shots. My answer to that is this team won 20 straight games playing the style of play that they do, which is taking and making a lot of threes. I don't expect them to all of a sudden turn on their heel and play a completely different style of game in crunch time. Like... Charleston went 0 for 14 from three down the stretch. If they hit two of those, I think they're in a much better position late in the game. I think if, you know, Hofstra shoots 40% from three instead of 50%, I think they're in a in a good spot. But I just I don't I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, Charleston, you know, should have mixed it up in the paint a little bit more since the threes weren't falling. I think they've kind of earned the right to take those shots because it's been as successful as it has been this season. 100%. I mean, I couldn't explain it better. Uh, they've won doing what they do. They've won sharing the ball. Uh, they won taking shots that are makeable shots for each one of them. And we've seen different people step up. We even ha haven't even had one person who does all the heavy lifting at the end of the game. They've reached to guys on the bench, like deep on the bench even in the rotation, to win games. So you're right. They've earned the right to take those shots and then they're open. 
Uh, they made more than they missed. But, you know, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback, right? Hindsight is always twenty twenty. You know, you always look back and say, oh, you could have, you should have. Me, I look at it as, you know, they they increased their numbers in the paint. They got 40 points from the paint. And that's just something Charleston doesn't do. They they usually live at the three-point line a little bit more, free throw line a little bit more. But the game just kind of went in that direction. And I'm I'm happy that the Cougars were able to make an adjustment. I mean, the way they shot the three ball, who would have thought they would have gotten the 80s by doing so? I would never think that. So sure. yeah. I like the adjustments that were done. I think they were fairly done. I think they were the right moves. But, you know, you can pick the perfect scenario. It doesn't mean – uh, the ball is going to bounce your way. And, and and really, again, you said in the postgame, Coach Kelsey touched on it. You know, all you can really get to is the 50-50 balls. You can control that because you usually win those. And securing, you know, defensive rebounds, you can control those things. But outside of that, the way Hofstra shot the ball, the way they had others step up when you took Estrada out, that's what they did. Others make them pay. So they forced the counter. It's just Hofstra had one. And basketball goes that way. If they're able to counter – what you're doing and recounter and recounter, then you have a good game going on. And the pride won the game. It wasn't the college Charleston lost or did anything. Sometimes the other team was better than you. And, and that's what we talked about in the post game tonight. You know, the pride were better than the Cougars and that's just the bottom line. And the pride looked like the second best team in the league. You know, it's not like a loss to Elon or Monmouth exactly. or, or one of these teams that's struggling. I want to go to, to Aaron Estrada and his supporting cast a little bit because you and Everett were both, uh, I, I think both times Hofstra has played the last couple of years here at TD Arena with Aaron Estrada, he's he started cooking. And both of you guys have recognized it as it's started to happen. And to Charleston's credit, mm-hmm. they did, you know, shut him off after he had 23 in the first half. He only had two down the stretch. But that supporting cast really came through in the clutch. And I think Charleston got what they wanted at times in the second half where they forced the ball out of Estrada's hands. And guys like Carlos and Dubar and Thomas hit the shots. And, like, that doesn't always happen. Charleston's been fortunate in games against the other top teams in the CAA that, you know, they forced the ball to someone who's not always comfortable in that position and they missed the shot. Credit to Hofstra because they canned the shots that they needed to. That's just it. I mean, they made the adjustment. The halftime adjustment was made on Estrada. We've seen him cooking before. It's not unusual. So... What do you do? You get the ball in his hands. But when you do that, you expose the defense to other other vulnerabilities. And that's what you saw. You saw other guys. You mentioned them, Dubar, Carlos, all those guys. Well, when they got those opportunities, you know, again, we had to run two people at Estrada. That means one guy's loose or one guy gets a, a premier one-on-one matchup, and they made it work. So, you know, from a strategy standpoint, you go, if you're Charleston, you did what you're supposed to do. But the pride countered and they countered correctly and they got the guys to step up. So to your point, yes, other times that's happened, teams, we put them in uncomfortable positions. They can't come through. Uh, the Hofstra pride just happened to have guys that can, that can get it done, was ready for the moment, prepared for the moment, and really just knocked them out. It wasn't it wasn't a strategy thing at all uh, from my standpoint. It was just, you know, they had the counter that worked and, you know, kind of got them on their heels and guys didn't expect step up, step up. And you know, a lot of times that's, that's what determines the outcome of a game. The other Pat Kelsey postgame quote that stood out to me was, you also can't let a team shoot 56% from the floor in the second half. Uh, right. Do you Are you nitpicking the Charleston defense or are you more crediting Hofstra? I more credit Hofstra. I mean, Aaron Estrada, if you could see 
where he was on the floor. He was working out of the high pick and roll, right? Very high out on the floor. Well, the problem is he could come off. He got comfortable. We've seen him hit threes, pull-ups. You know, he was just very comfortable in that situation. Well, to get the ball out of his hands, you have to red him, which means you double him. So the, the guy who's setting the screen, his guy steps up. So now what happens is you have four guys behind those two against three defenders, right? So there's there's a vulnerability right there in that moment. And, and usually Charleston's able to get back and, you know, force somebody to not take a shot. But it was happening so far out on the floor because Estrada's such a good shooter. It really puts a lot of pressure on your interior defense to make the rotations. And Hofstra took advantage of that. That's just basketball. When the floor opens up on the back end, uh, if you're able to get some stuff going to the basket or make your open shot, it really makes it difficult to to double it and run the ball out of another guy's hands. You know, it's almost like you have to pick your poison. Yeah, he's got some Grant Riller to his game, Estrada. I mean, there's a couple times where he shredded Jalen Scott or Horton or whoever was guarding him with that first step, and he's he's just quick and pull up, like you mentioned, the pull up game. He's cash from there. He's just, I mean, that's why he's Player of the Year. Exactly, he has the whole package, and so when he gets going. You got to do something to slow him down. So I think Charleston made the adjustment. It just didn't work out this time. That's all. Yep. Uh, you know, not all bad from Charleston. Monte Berzovich had another really nice game oh, in this one. Oh, man. Yeah. Are you you're a Berzovich fan, right? Big we, time. We talk about him a lot on the podcast. Which big your take time. On? I'm a big Ante fan. I've uh, if you hear me talking on the radio, I'll talk a lot about Europeans and how they've changed the, the game all the way to the NBA level. I mean, we don't even have American born players up for the MVP outside of Jason Tatum, you know? So, you know, that wave has come of fundamentally sound players from Europe in general. And Ante, I think, represents that, you, you know, a guy that even at his height can dribble, pass, shoot, uh, play up from his back to the basket, facing up either way. And we've seen him from the beginning of the season to now, his confidence has grown tremendously. You can see it on the floor. I mean, the first play of the game is a, a dribble handoff to him going to the basket and then right after that he brings it up full speed up the court gives a nice inside out crossover and finishes with his offhand i mean that's guard type stuff you don't see a lot of six ten guys do that and so you can see uh how comfortable he's gotten on the floor and he's the real re- a big reason why this charleston team is doing so well when he stretches the floor and get those bigs away from the basket uh, you could really see it in the North Carolina game against Baycott. He struggled against it. And other bigs, they just don't like coming out that far. And then now he can put it on the deck and do other things. He's really a matchup problem for a lot of people. I love that last play before the first half ended to get him the dunk. Uh, Ryan Larson comes around a screen, looks like he's going to go to the basket and finds Ante wide open under the under the hoop. And Ryan Larson had a good game here. I think you and Everett touched on it. He was trying to will Charleston back into it late. Uh, we've seen different guys step up in crunch time, whether it's Dalton Bolin or it's Rain Smith hitting a big shot. Ryan Larson seemed to really put it on his shoulders late to to get Charleston back into it. He struggled early, but to his credit, the mayor was trying to make things happen when Charleston just needed a bucket. And it was heartbreaking to see you know some of these shots not go down because just one of these threes or free throws really would have swung the momentum late. Any additional thoughts on, on Larson's game, though? Yeah, you pointed it out exactly. He he didn't really get it going offensively. And he's a guy that game after game, uh, there's certain situations you need guys to understand time to score. And he's been coached 
well. Obviously, he's played at Wofford where he understands winning and losing. He understands what that kind of basketball looks like. So he understands time and score. So he interjects himself into the game at the proper times. And, you know, yesterday he just wasn't going. You know, he had a couple threes off some good moves. and He tried to drive to the basket and get some fouls and, and chip at the lead, but the clock stopped. So he did what you do. You know, there's not, again, there's not much more he could do from a strategy standpoint. It just didn't go his way this time. And uh, I got a chance to speak to him after the game. You know, we we really like having the mayor on. And, you know, my words to him was, you know, great game, man. You know, and he was smiling. He understood. I was like, I, I think this is only going to make you guys better. Uh, this is a good loss. If there's, a, if there's such a thing, of course, you don't want to lose. But sometimes level setting is a good thing you want to do. Uh, and this is a great game to do it off of because they didn't they didn't play bad. They didn't do anything that Charleston don't do. They just ran into somebody who did what they did a little better on this particular day. So I know some people on Twitter and, and online were wondering, what does this mean for the at-large hopes? My take is the bubble hasn't completely burst yet. It is going to be hard if Charleston wins the, the rest of their games on the schedule and goes into the CAA tournament final with 30 wins. I find it hard for the selection committee to keep them out at that point. I think you're in a rougher spot if you lose to Hampton, Elon, or Monmouth. But again, Hofstra looks like the next best team here. You only match up with them once. They were looking for revenge after Charleston knocked them out of the tournament last year. I think maybe, you know, certainly we're going to see Charleston slide in the AP voting. I think being as high as they were 18 this going into this game, I think they'll slide down, but maybe not even out, maybe like the 24, 25 range. I don't know if you have a take on this, though, because you strike me as a guy who's going to echo what Pat Kelsey says and just worry about the next game. So what do you want to see from Charleston on Thursday's game against Drexel? Well, number one, I, I would like to touch on that that, that top 25 ranking. Um, the NCAA, whoever they are, the voting committee, uh, you know, you, you, you don't. You don't ever want to leave it in their hands no matter what. You know, um, again, that's a major yep. situation I'm familiar with. We were 16 going into our tournament uh, my senior year. And, you know, a lot of people said, like, kind of what you said, well, if you guys lose, uh, you possibly could still get in. We never want to put it in the committee's hands. We know they don't favor mid-majors that much. So we never wanted to give them that power to do that. So I I really think that Coach Kelsey and staff being at the mid-major level as long as they have, they understand that. They understand that. And so – even though this ranking thing is nice for the crowd, nice for the city of Charleston, and it's great on paper, at the end of the day, you still a big a focusing on that conference tournament because that's the automatic. It still sits there. It's still the most valuable thing in the pot. So I just really think they're going to take a step back and just get back to doing what they're doing. They don't really need to tweak anything or change anything. They just need to go back, look at the things they could control. 50-50 ball stood out, giving up offensive rebounds stood out. Outside of that, I don't think Charleston's going to go five for 31 in a lot of games from the three-point line. So, you know, you you just clean that up and do normal basketball to play it the way you normally do. I don't see any problems really necessarily. So, you know, sometimes it's good to have that loss. You know, uh, it's good to do it. I'm not a big believer in running the table in anything. I uh, just think it gets you a little bit complacent just naturally as a human being. But, you know, you take you take a hit like this at home, Everybody watching, you know, guys look around the locker room and say, hey, uh, there's a couple things we need to tighten up and things we can fix, and we'll get right back to doing what we do. So when they take the court in Philadelphia on Thursday, you're just hoping for 
playing loose, having fun, and uh, cleaning up the things they they didn't have going in this game. Yeah, I mean, I just think you take a little bit of you know a little bit of anger with you. You know, you don't like getting knocked off, and you know, I'm sure a lot of guys in that locker room feel like there's a player two here or there they could have done better at. That's what competitors do. So uh, when they head up to Philly, that's right. You want to you want to get back to making a statement. You know, like don't think that just because we got hit you know, the last game that we change or we're not going to be who we are. We're still going to be a very dominant team. We're going to play the way we play and we're going to, we're going to make you beat us in our style. And I don't think a whole lot changes except maybe the attitude of uh, taking a loss. You carry a little bit of that with you, a little bit of that. And uh, Charleston should be fine. I like the perspective. Uh, unless you have anything else from this one, the folks on the CFC discord channel did have some questions for Mr. Danny Johnson. Do you want to pivot into those? Let's, let's get going. Let's do it, Tony. We'll start with a fun one. This one's from Robert. Who wins this Charleston team versus your 98-99 Cougars? <laughs> how, how does the game play out? Wow, this first question, huh? <laughs> this is one that can get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities there. Um, you know, they play a very hard-nosed style defense, use their hands, deflections. Try to get out on breaks, get easy shots, uh, move the ball. They probably played more motion than we did. We had a little bit more structure. Uh, we made more set plays than maybe they do. Um, you know, I think it'd be a great game. But, of course, there's a part of me that says, you know, we're, we're a little bit more old school. The rules were a little different. We could be a little bit more physical. And, you know, we probably have more professional guys on our roster than you see on this particular team like there's there's a few guys on my roster that have went on to play in the nba and and, and have great overseas careers there's a reason for that it's because they were all great individuals in jailed i don't think this team necessarily is full of professionals necessarily but they play really well together so i think it'd be a great game i just think we might just wear them down with our individual talent uh, kind of something similar that they'll see in the NCAA tournament. If they make it, they'll see something very similar, like teams that play their style that might be a little longer, a little bigger, uh, a little bit more polished. But you have to find ways to win those type of games anyway. Well, I have a follow-up question. Who's got the defensive assignment on Danny Johnson in that game? <laughs> you know, that's what made our team so dangerous. You know, we had, I think, six guys in double figures and Seven or, eight, seven or eight that was right at it. So uh, it wasn't necessarily about guarding me. It was about guarding all of us. We had, you know, four or five guys that could go for 20 any night and very capable any night. So, you know, it really didn't matter to us. If you take away Cedric Weber and Carl Thomas and Jamel President and Danny Johnson, if you take Shane McCravey out and Danny Johnson, then you got to deal with Jody Lumpkin and Cedric Weber. So, we tried to spread it out to where it was very hard to game plan us uh, because whoever you left open, very similar to you see how Charleston lost the game last night. If you leave those other guys one-on-one on the back end, uh, we had some really talented guys that could get it done. So it, it was very hard to match up with us uh, per se. And, that, and I think this Charleston team, same way. They, they probably go a little deeper than us. Uh, they play nine, ten guys, and, and all of them have proven they can do something. So uh, we have some strengths and they have some strengths. So – Again, I, I think it would be a really good game. I think you want Jalen Scott on you. I think you want the defensive player of the year. <laughs> oh, of that course. Game. <laughs> so a part of me, of course. If I don't draw the best defender, I'm going to be offended, you know, as a competitor. But, you know, like it's about winning the game. It's about 
whatever you need to do to to, to win the game. And so, you know, I, I, I'm a prideful guy. I would think you put your best defender on me. But, you know, the other side of me is what you're going to do with Jody Lumpkin. What are you going to do with Cedric Rebel? Call Thomas, Jamel President, Shane McCravey, call us Brown. I mean, you go on and on and on. So, you know, it, it's a tough matchup, and we'd have to match up with them. You know, like, let's just not talk about one side on the other side. Uh, they got some really good shooters. It's going to extend the floor and make it hard uh, for us to keep our defense compact. So uh, they move the ball and share the ball greatly. So they would move us around. So it'd be similar styles defensively, offensively, a little different. But again, I'd like to see it play out one game. Uh, you just never know. Very diplomatic answer. All right, moving on. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> this one this one comes from Martin, who was on the podcast recently. Are there silver linings to losses like these? Pressure comes off a bit, et cetera. You kind of touched on this, but what's your take? A hundred percent. I never believed uh, in the running the table to a championship thing. It's such a rare feat we've seen in any sport. I mean, it doesn't matter what level we're at. You, you very rarely see a team go beginning of the season, end of the season with a championship without a loss you know it's usually something that happens uh either a team gets hot and plays great or you play poorly or a combination of both usually somewhere along the line that happens to everybody and it's good because again that complacency you get you know you win over and over and over sometimes you forget there's challenges that are coming around the corner and you kind of fall in autopilot so this kind of gets you out of autopilot you kind of get back to okay we got to go manual here and get back to doing what we're doing, a couple misses here and there, and what we do. Let's just get back to that, tighten it up a little bit, and move forward. All right, next question comes from G.A. Coog. Question for Danny. On a scale of one to being part of the 98-99 team, how much fun are you having watching these guys and being part of the broadcast team? Oh, man, the same. The same. You know, I'm at a point at 46 years old, almost 47, where – you know, I can't even run up and down the floor one or two <laughs> times without falling out. So for me to see these young men really take off, a lot of them being some guys that were overlooked, you know, we're, we're winning with a lot of D2 guys, transfers, grad guys that, you know, people necessarily didn't have ranked high whatever star system they have. So to see them play together as a unit, and it's so refreshing. I, I'd say that's the best word because we get to do post games with these guys and you can find out right away that they're – zero selfishness going on with this yeah. team. It's just a rare thing. You just don't see that in any sport at any level. And these guys really play for each other. They root for each other. They don't care who starts. They don't care who finishes. They're worried about winning the game, however that goes that particular day. And I think that's the culture that was set by Kelsey and staff. And I think that's what makes this team so dangerous. And I think it also prepares them for post postseason play because – they're getting ready. That You can see they're just getting stronger and stronger as a group. And I really think they're going to surprise some people by, by how they play and their style and really their togetherness. I like it. All right, this next one is a two-for-one from Coogie Monster. My question's for Tommy and Danny. How good is this team compared to the major conference teams around us in the rankings? Uh, why, don't, why don't you take that one first, and then I'll give you the second part. I think right there. I mean, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, if you take Todd Shaws and you stick them in the ACC, they're not going to run the table. Of course they're not. Of course they're not. You're talking about a higher level, a uh, lot of better, you know, four or five-star guys a lot of times in these power fives. But the way Charleston played, they would win a lot of these games. They would win off 
again, a lot of what I talk about, their their ball movement, the way they share the ball, work for each other. So, I mean, I think they're prepared to play against anybody. I think they can beat anybody in the country. There's nobody that stands out. And I think that, oh, wait, Charleston couldn't beat them. Now, I, I don't feel that way at all. I mean, I was, I was very fortunate. I stopped on my way back from Cincinnati here recently, and I saw the Tennessee-Georgia game uh, Wednesday yeah. night. I'm not sure if you, got, you caught that. And I watched them in Tennessee – Reminds me a lot of the College of Charleston and how they play uh, defensively, same you know concepts, share the ball, but they have a few guys that are a little taller, a little longer, a little stronger. Yeah. So in your mind, you say, okay, in one game, uh, that can be offset, but you see a few other teams, their style, but not many. So I just think they're built for a nice postseason run. Part two of that question, how would you defend the Cougars if you were coaching an opponent? Oh, man, like it's it's tough. I mean, you can see them. I mean, I think that's why everybody loves playing them. They move the ball so well and share the ball so well with each other. And defensively, that's so hard to guard. I mean, like 35 seconds uh, to move, make all those movements and rotations, usually there's a breakdown somewhere. Uh, if I was going against us, you know, we had we had something called Fresno, like a matchup zone we threw up on people. Uh, it, it looked like man-to-man, but kind of morphed itself to zone, which threw people off. They didn't know what kind of plays to call. I would do something along those lines because you have, like, Rain, who's such a great shooter. Mm-hmm. You have to count for him and, you know, a couple other guys that can get going. But I would do something to keep the interior intact because Charleston's such a good offensive rebounding team. I mean, they're bringing sometimes four or five guys to the glass. It's unusual. So you want to stay on the inside of that and kind of block out because – you know they're going to come that way and, and try to get on the break that way. Kind of keep our defense true without getting spread out too much. Because Charleston, they do that. They do that to a lot of people with their ball movement. We got three more questions here. Next one is from yeah. the, the Island Cat. I'm curious to hear Danny talk about the winning streak. Does the team culture make it easier to avoid thinking too far ahead? Since he was on the 98-99 team that ran the table in the SoCon, it will be cool to hear him chat about that 25-game win streak and what CFC needs to do to bounce back. You know, I almost wish we would have had a situation like this. I mean, mm. um, you know, you don't want to say that, but again, I'm not a big believer in running the table. Um, I think like maybe taking a loss during the year might have helped us a little bit, like mentally prepare for the postseason run we had because we've been so long since we lost the game and sometimes not even really challenged depending on the game. So, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a problem at all. I think this is perfect timing. I, I am one of those people that believe there's such thing as a good loss. I consider yesterday a, a very good loss. Like, I, I didn't feel any type of way. I, I saw a lot of positives in a game you lose, and that's what you do. Uh, as a team, a staff, you find out, oh, wait a minute, we improved points in the paint. We improved this. We improved that. We can add that to what we already do well at that we didn't do today. So when you do that, you compound other elements to your game as a team and you continually in your upwards trend and look better. So I just think it's not a problem at all. I really do. I think they can take this and use it as a using experience, you know, a learning experience and just go from there. And I really think it's going to bode them. Well, I really believe that. Hopefully this one doesn't get you in any trouble. Why does CFC not broad? <laughs> <laughs> Why does CFC not broadcast the pre and post game on flow sports? Like some other schools do. Sounds like people just want to see your face. Yeah, well, that would be nice. You know, we don't we don't make the decisions. That's above us. Uh, Flow Sports kind of has their timing down. 
Uh, we sort of integrate the radio and flow sports together, uh, which is pretty challenging in itself because you're painting the picture for people who can't see and also talking to the ones that can. So it's just something that they've decided to do. It's nothing on our part. Uh, we would like to do it. If we could, we would, but it's not really up to us. So when we get the, the cues to do what we need to do, that's, that's really our job. And, and that's pretty much it. There's not much I can say about that. Well, at least you're not forced to be camera ready every game, you know? You can... <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, and the last one here, I'd like to hear Danny's thoughts on the makeup of, of this team as they make the transition into the postseason. Uh, what does this team do that could lead to success in March, and what is this team lacking that could hurt them in March? Um, You know, maybe lacking in the, in the size category. I mean, yeah. uh, I think they're playing well, and I think they'll continue to play well. But obviously, if you can choose it, you want to have you want to be injury free or as much as you can going into the the post postseason CAA tournament. You want to be playing your best basketball at that period of time. So you don't want to be playing your best right now. You want to be trending toward it. So I think they're going to do that. I think they're built in that way. If I could see a weakness, it would be where would the front court scoring from if Ante gets in foul trouble. Or something yeah. like that, because they don't yeah, they really have that. another big. They haven't faced that with like Lambton or, or somebody else that would have to possibly contribute in that situation. So if I, if I think there's anything lingering for me, it would be where would the front court production come from offensively uh, when Berzovich goes down? Because he he's such a big part of uh, of the offense in so many ways that you know, should he should he get in foul trouble, sick, injured, any of those things? Uh, you kind of wonder what that team, what the team would look like at, at that point. That is all the questions we had for you. This was actually a really good way for you to carry the podcast while I'm fighting off a cold. So this this worked out for both of us. <laughs> that works for me. Uh, I just hope that the uh, fans understand good basketball. I, I know they do. Uh, we had a lot of fans that have been around for a long time. So my thing would be. The sky is definitely not falling, guys. This is more of a positive than a negative, as hard as that may be to believe. So I just want to let them know, believe me, I left the, I left the arena last night. I hate losing. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely hate losing. But I do understand it's a part of the trajectory. It's a part – it's sort of part of the past. And I feel like yesterday was one of those games. It's part of the past. So I didn't see the players heading ahead. I think I've seen them a lot be, be a little accountable. Uh, and say, hey, as a player too, I could have, I could have, I could have made it. And when you hear that and see that, you're not worried about anything because they they know exactly who they are and what, and what they want to be. So uh, it feels good to me all the way around, and not a problem at all. I just feel good about going forward, honestly. That's good. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm more in your camp than uh, than the other folks. You know, I'm just anxious to see how they respond on Thursday. It's going to be something that they haven't had to do in a long time which is play after a loss so i think we're in a, that game is going to be very telling but yeah i uh i'm not sweating it so uh, yeah you play angry you play angry that's what typically happens when you when you get your head knocked off one time uh you tend not to like it as a, as a unit and you come out there and whoever that next opponent is they kind of take the brunt of that and i think that's what we're going to see i really believe that's what we're going to see in their next game love it Love it. Danny, always a pleasure having you come through here. I will let you get back to your Sunday afternoon. Uh, but thanks again for, for stopping on the pod. 
Awesome. Thank you for having me and chat with you soon.